We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. I am Patrick Moran. Thank you. As always, for locking in, whether you're listening to this, whether you're watching this, we appreciate you all very much. I'm joined by my good buddy, Anthony Marino from Buffalo Brumleys for our weekly chat. I'm going to get to Anthony in just a second because I know Anthony's not a hockey guy. So before we get into today's show, which obviously is going to be primarily about the Buffalo Bills and the return of one of our segments that we haven't done in quite a while, um, I just quickly hear, I, so Anthony, we're taping this early Wednesday morning, like we like we usually do for a Thursday drop on the audio side. Anyway, I worked Wednesday night and I literally got out. I hustled to get out in t- on time, flew home because I wanted to watch the Sabres play. They started a West Coast swing, a critical one. And earlier in the day, they're trying to catch like five or six teams and all these teams from the conference lost in regulation. They got no points. So a golden opportunity for the Sabres to get a W. They are playing the Anaheim Ducks, who are a laughing stock in this league. They're 15 and 30 and 1 going into the game. And I'm like, this is an absolute golden opportunity for the Sabres to get a, an easy two points and kind of close that distance a little bit as they try to get into the playoff mix. Lo and behold, get home. Put the TV on, and this team is just an absolute disgrace. Disgraceful hockey team the Buffalo Sabres have become. They lose 4-2. to two. They're down 3 nothing. They got outshot. I don't remember what the numbers were. So bad in the second period. It looked like they literally quit in the second period. You hear the score 4-2, and it sounds closer. Dude, it was 3 nothing with like five minutes left, and the Sabres pulled the goalie. Or, and then they got two cheap goals, not cheap goals, but they got two goals at the very end when they finally decided to play after 55 freaking minutes to try to get back into the game. And I'm like, you know, the Sabres for some Bills fans are like kind of a pick me up. All right. Well, the Bills suck or not the Bills suck. It sucks that the Bills lost. Season is over. Let's get into some Sabres. Maybe get lift us up. This team stinks. They absolutely stink. They're as close to being at the bottom of the Eastern Conference as they are 
a wild card playoff spot right now. Kevin Adams goes out and signs these guys like Dylan Cousins and Owen Powers to these long seven, eight year contracts because they have one good year and Eric Johnson stinks. And this Clifford defenseman has literally fallen all over himself last night. It was embarrassing. Huge. The guy fell over himself, falls out with the puck. Anaheim goes in, they score. Memes all over the internet because of that. Uh, Bagula is not going to fire Granado. He's just not. He gave him an extension somehow. The guy hasn't even coached in a single playoff game, and he gets an extension. So Bills fans who get angry with Terry Bagula but aren't Sabres fans, you have no idea how good you have it on the Bills side because Terry Bagula is quickly becoming one of the worst owners in sports. It's just frustrating to be in January still and year after year after year with the Buffalo Sabres. It's over already. This team is toast. Anyway, on that note, what's going on, Anth? How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. And I, I feel for for all the Sabres fans. I mean, I always kind of, you know, I follow the team and a bunch of accounts on Twitter. You know, if I'm, you know, now this time of year, like college basketball in full swing. So if I have something on in the background, it's usually a hoop game as opposed to the, sure. the Sabres. But, Smart. you know, if the Sabres were playing well, then – you know, it's easier to kind of jump in and pay a little bit more attention. But it's it's tough because, you know, I mean, like you've kind of seen these these changes with coaches. And I mean, everything from when Don Granato took over the team. And again, right, like you follow coaches, you see how guys buy in, you see some of the things like, you know, this team being very likable, him being a very likable coach. Like you hear his interviews on the radio and different pieces. But right now, it just it, it just seems like it's not working, right? And it's like you don't want to just point at the coach because sometimes that's it's easy to point the finger there. You talk about some of the talent, but that's just too bad because it's just again, right? And you would think at some point, just the law of averages, you would be able to hit <laughs> on your coach or on your general manager, and things would start to come together. And I know we're going to transition to the Bills, right? Like as much as people can complain about Sean McDermott or certain things that Brandon Bean has done in the past, it's just like, it could be a hell of a lot worse, man. So it, it could. Well, I'm not on the hockey side. On the hockey side, it's about as bad as it could get. I mean, they're, yeah. they're tied with the New York Jets for the longest drought of any pro team of all the major sports. The, the, the Bills are right there, not the Bills, the Sabres are right there uh, with the New York Jets. And it's like fans got sold a... a false bill of goods this was a team the sabers that were one point away from making the playoffs last year and kind of like you said in transitioning into the bills here the similarity is you know you got josh allen who could throw the ball with anybody in the world who's ever played the game and the bills and it's not necessarily a complete complaint but the bills are pounding the ball now they're a ground and pound football team with josh allen slinging you know capable of slinging the ball the sabers last year they could score with the best of them. The problem was they weren't really good enough on defense. So they take their offense, which was their strength, and now they're trying to play a defensive brand of hockey, and it's laughable. They stink. It's just uh, it's annoying. But anyway, you know, speaking of annoying, I, I when we talked last week, I was like, this is really going to suck the following week if the Bills lose to the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, that's what happened. Uh, let me ask you this. Going into the game, we'll get started here. Because today's primary topic is we're going to discuss some of the things that went wrong on Sunday specifically, and maybe kind of an undertone for the whole season. What was your feeling going into Sunday when it got to be 
maybe a couple hours before the game. I know we both felt confident, but, you know, very respectful of the Chiefs going into the game and never felt like it was going to be a, a gimme by any means. Unlike the week before, I know you were trying really hard to give the Steelers their respect and, you know, it's a playoff game, anything can happen, but it would have taken a catastrophe for the Bills to lose to a TJ Watt less Steelers. This was a different story. What was your your feeling like emotionally going into the game? And then what was your, you know, reactions during the game and, and the feeling immediately after? Yeah. So so going into the game, I felt pretty good. Right. Now I will say this, the the couple hours beforehand, uh, I was coaching a basketball game that afternoon, which was a great distraction, right? You're not sure. just sitting around waiting. Uh, waiting for the game. Of course, I, I did end up missing most of the the game before beforehand, right? The three o'clock kickoff game sure. uh, that day. So it was, you know, so from that standpoint, coach the game, grab something quick to eat on the way back, probably got home like around 530, right? Mm -hmm. So an hour before the game, you sort of have that time. And my wife asked me, she's like, are you nervous? And I'm like, you know, what? I'm not like, and I wasn't you know, it's not like this, oh, you're going in feeling confident or cocky or anything like that. It was just like, yeah, I'm not I'm not nervous about this one. I was probably more nervous about the Pittsburgh game earlier in the week because, you know, if you lose that, then it's just like, what a disappointment. This shouldn't happen, any of those types of things. But, like, you're playing the Chiefs. Like, yeah, I feel good about the way the Bills have been playing. I already knew that Teron Johnson was going to be playing. And, you know, Terrell Dotson, like, so, you know, you go into this and you're just like, okay, the defense is not decimated. Yeah, I'm feeling all right. I'm feeling all right going into it. And even then you talk about how you were feeling, you know, throughout the game. It's like, all right, like 17, 13 or whatever it was at halftime. You're just like, all right, like you're, you're going blow for blow. And it was that last touchdown to make it 17, 13, because it's like, okay, the Bills don't score here if it's 13 to 10 at halftime. Then if Kansas City marches down and, you know, scores a touchdown or something like that, that then you're going to feel like, oh, my God, it's a, you know, it became a two-score game really, really quickly. But it didn't. And then at the end, you know, Pat, and I know we'll kind of go into this, but, like, I just was sort of um, – I don't want to say, like, I expected it because that wasn't it. Like, as the Bills were driving um, – the, the pass to Shakir, like I stood up out of my seat because seeing how that was developing, like I thought that was a touchdown, very similar to when uh, the pass to Gabe Davis in overtime in the game against uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Almost the same play. Yeah, and then it was just, it was over. Uh, I wasn't surprised that he missed a kick. Like, and it was weird because you almost felt of like your, your condition to accept this now. Yeah. Right. There was no, oh my God, I can't believe it. There was no outrage. There was no anger. Um, my 13 year old daughter was, you know, angry in the moment. She was like, you know, you have one job. You have one job. Like, you have to make that kick. Like, you know, and then she understood. My wife, like, feels horrible for Tyler Bash. She says all the time, like, any, it, it doesn't matter if it's the Bills, any other team, any game, like, when a kicker misses a kick that, Sure. Cost the team a game or whatever. She, you know what I mean? Like there's so much that happens in this game and it comes on that person's shoulder. So her heart broke for, for Tyler Bass. And I just was kind of like, you know, I don't know. I've seen, like, I've seen this movie before. Yeah. But in, a, but in a weird, in a weird way. And I, and I say this like, and I'm getting ahead of myself, not like in, yo, know, I've seen this movie and it's just like, it's the end. You know, I think you think with like the trend in some movies these days, like, 
you know, Avengers Infinity War, right? Like it's part one and there's going to be a part two. Uh, the the latest uh, Spider-Verse movie, the latest Mission Impossible movie, the latest Fast and the Furious movie, right? All of these, it's like, yeah, you're not getting that conclusion. It's not like a huge cliffhanger, but you're you're getting some closure and then it's like, it's it's still out there. And I feel that way with the Bills and I'm sure there's probably people listening right now like, Anthony, we've been living this for like our entire <laughs> lives. What are you what are you talking about? But like, I don't know. I still have a weird just sense of sure. confidence with this because they're they're there. They could have won the game. They didn't. And credit to the Chiefs. Like this isn't a like Chiefs made plays. The Bills came one play short. Like I I don't know. I'm I'm going off script. I know we got other things we'll no, no, talk no. about related to it, but it wasn't it like it wasn't one of those like I'm not laying in bed at three o'clock in the morning, you know, right. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. I didn't listen to the post game show or anything like that. Yeah. I went up to I went to bed. I got got up the next morning, went on with my day. Like it just was it sucked. Right. It would have been great to be, you know, listening to to podcasts and your show and just sort of like yeah. reliving the, you know, that final drive and what it could have been. It didn't happen. You know, it's funny too, because when the bills win and it's as a content creator, this is probably the last thing I should be saying, but when the bills win a football game, I can't get enough. My eyes and my ears are on everything that, that I can find. You know, whether it's uh stuff on YouTube, whether it's WGR post game, whatever, you know, the newscast afterwards, when the bills lose, I, I can't, I don't want to watch. I don't want to listen. Like I had a live stream scheduled for 10 o'clock on Sunday and I canceled it. <laughs> yeah. I, I ended up doing one at 11 o'clock. I said, you know what? I, I have to do this. And you know, to actually perform very well, but I just, I found it hard to, to want to talk about the game um, in the aftermath leading up to the game, dude, you know, look, I'm not gonna, you know, I, we joked around because it was a couple of weeks ago where I had, uh, you know, the, the Dawson Knox touchdown or whatever. And I said, I was taking a victory lap. Truth be told, I've made far more wrong predictions than I ever will right predictions. But you know how that works, man. You forget about all those. But going into this game, and I said this, man, I was not, I was getting annoyed all week last week when my guy Tone Pucks with so many fans bring us the Chiefs, feed us the Chiefs. I'm like, yo, be careful what you wish for. And yeah. Emma Holmes said that shit in the locker room. You wanted it, you got it. And that's how I felt. It's almost like, you know what? That team was down offensively for most of the season. They were great on defense, but they were a you know a shell of what they've been over the last few years on the offensive side. But I'm like, yo, this team has Pat Mahomes, and this team has Travis Kelsey, and this team has Chris Jones, and these guys are iconic players for a reason. And this is the playoffs, and championship teams play their best football this time of year. So I am not surprised that the Bills lost the game. I desperately, from a Bills standpoint, wanted to play the Houston Texans. And I said that beforehand because, you know, everyone's like, well, Stroud in that offense. Yeah, but you know what? They had to come up north. And you saw it against Baltimore. Houston's got a great future, and they're a good team. They just yeah. weren't ready for that moment. I knew the Chiefs, the Bills could win the game. But I, I was like, the Chiefs' this moment is not going to be too big for them, man. So I was concerned about that before the game. And during the game itself, there was only one point in this game where I was ever confident, ever. And that was right before the half when the Bills not only scored, but they 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 sucked all the time off the clock. It was perfect. Yeah. They left Kansas City with no time. And then they the Bills, who it felt like, didn't feel like they couldn't play defense. They couldn't stop them. But yet somehow the Bills are still winning at halftime. 
And I allowed myself to be confident enough to say, all right, they're in the locker room at the half with the lead. And even though Kansas City's getting the ball, Sean McDermott's going to go in that locker room and figure some shit out defensively to, f- to find a way to slow down the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, A.J. Klein, who we'll talk about shortly here, I don't want to say he was embarrassing himself because he was playing the best he could to his physical oh. capabilities. So, you know, but it was just too easy for the Chiefs. And I'm like, they're going to find a way. But what's up? No, but it's funny as you say, because you talked about, like, you said that moment. And for me, it was like I had two moments and I, Pat, I flip-flopped so quick, right? So Sean McDermott comes out of halftime and you talk about that. And Tracy Wolfson is interviewing him and she's like, what did you say to the team? He said, I told him to go for it. And I am like, okay, like that is what I'm talking about here, yeah. right? Like, we're not being conservative. And and again, I mean, they went for fourth downs. I, I don't look at it and I do not look at Sean McDermott as a conservative coach, right? But he's saying like, I told them to go for it. And I'm just like, okay, this is going to happen. This second half is going to happen. And then the first play in the second half, you got Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who has not been able to catch anything all season. Chiefs fans are ready to write him off, to ship him off. And this guy is making this over-the-shoulder catch on Teron Johnson, which is a fantastic catch. And I go from like the Bills are going to finish this, they're going to close the door, to he makes that catch literally one play later. And I'm yeah. just like, shoot, is this going to be that kind of day where yeah. this guy all of a sudden can catch the football? And yeah. I, you know, and again, it didn't hold for that long. There was so much back and forth. But I, like, in that moment, I went from I picked up my phone. I try not to get on my phone during the game because I want to watch and not be looking at Twitter. Sure. And I was going to tweet something about, McDermott and the the go for it moment like this is it and before I could even like put in my passcode to unlock the phone he makes that catch <laughs> I just put my phone down I'm like whatever man I'm I'm I learned something uh, Sunday not just Sunday this season taught me something uh, about myself when it comes to the Buffalo Bills I had on this earlier this week too it's this was one of the least enjoyable seasons I've ever had of being a Bills fan that I've ever had. And they've had far more heartbreaking losses and, you know, disappointing seasons. Not, this isn't even close. This doesn't even crack the top, like maybe seven of heartbreaking losses, even though it is heartbreaking. What I mean is this, man, I wanted this so bad this season, this specific season that I didn't enjoy the ride at all. Like I was stressed anxiety. I'm like this. And and I still feel it. I feel this way today. This was their best. This was their last golden opportunity to get to the Super Bowl. They might get to the Super Bowl three of the next four years. They're far from done. Okay. So that's clear, but everything was just set up so perfect right now, being at home against the chiefs, all these injuries, Joe Burrow going down. There's just so many factors that led to the bills being in the position where they are. And I wanted the Super Bowl so bad. I wanted it for myself. I wanted it for thinking about my dad. There's just so many reasons why this was the year I felt like for it to happen. You know, Saturday night, I went to Wing Nuts and uh, I met up with Matt and Ryan. I went with Patrick Miller and we went to watch the the Shout Show and a couple other fans there. The, the atmosphere was just so cool, man. And fans just wanted it so bad. And you could just feel it. You could taste it. The energy in the bar was just unbelievable. But I realized that I just haven't enjoyed it. You know, like have fun, watch the games. It's like I was living and dying every week with the Bills winning or losing. And I was just so much anxiety every week. Like 
to the point where I wasn't even enjoying it. I was just trying trying to grow. It was kind of like the Bills season. Man, this was not a fun season to watch the Bills play. You know, the last couple of years, and, and sure, it's the same result, but the last couple of years before this, they would roll some teams. You know, I remember when they, they went and played the Rams on the road and they just rolled them in their building. It was just fun to watch. You'd walk into Chicago and you would, you know, you would own them. You would school them. You would destroy them. This year, every game, they almost lost to the Jets. They lost to the Broncos. They almost lost to the Bucks. This was, they lost to the Patriots. It just was, even the games they won, it just, it wasn't a fun, enjoyable season for me. And the anxiety just really, I don't know, it really got to me. And that's something I need to work on. Like you said, you were able to, to go to bed after the game and then you get up and you go to work and life goes on. You know, for some people that are fanatics to the point, like maybe, I guess I never thought of it, but I think maybe I am too. It just all week long, it's all I thought about. I didn't think about anything else except this game. And afterwards, I was just literally depressed. You know, and it, it is different. And, and I say it's different. And one, this season, going into this year, you knew it was like the AFC, you know, when you would talk about it. And this is, of course, before Aaron Rodgers gets hurt or anything like that. But, you know, you looked at it and it was just like, man, the AFC is a gauntlet of teams. Mm -hmm. Whoever survives the AFC is going to have to be just really good in some way, shape or form. Right. Because it was just so competitive. So when you look at it, even with some of those disappointing losses, like, yeah, it's a lot to come through to to get to that to get to that point. You know, always around the time when the season ends, I always kind of have a conversation with myself and it's like, you know, is this is this the straw that breaks the back of like, I need to get off Twitter, right? There's so much negativity, maybe so many yeah. fans out there that are just kind of like, you know, expressing their anger. And it's like, I, I don't need that in my life. And then some ways I'm almost like, well, gosh, is it like, is it a, is it a Twitter addiction or is it a Buffalo Bills addiction? Yeah. You know, you think of like, you mentioned before, like listening to the podcast, like just consuming Buffalo Bills talk all the time. And it's just a little bit of that, like, you know, back in the day when it was like, you know, during the Super Bowl era or whatever, you'd watch your newscast. Like there was no sports talk radio. There was no podcast. There was no websites <laughs> or blogs or any. Right. There was no Twitter with people like, you know, saying, oh, you should get rid of somebody said like the bills need to upgrade over James Cook. I'm like, what? Like, what? you know, like you just, you see a lot of stuff and it's, you, and you get it. It's within, you know, like a, people are emotional about it, but just like, man, is it, is it just too much of, of something that you love where it's just yeah. like, good gosh, like it's, it's tough. So I get what you're saying. Cause it's like, you know, you're in the car, I'm listening to to your show or Joe Marino's show or one of our Buffalo rumbling shows or Perino or Catalana or, you know, you can go through, there are so many shows out there and good shows that like, sure. you could be listening to three a day, every day, 365 <laughs> days a year. It's so crazy. then when the season's over, right. And you talk about feeling depressed and feeling down and feeling anxious or that you didn't enjoy the show. Cause it's like, like you just said, like, oh, man, they have a heartbreaking loss or a disappointing loss. It's like, yeah, just listen to four hours of podcasts over the next, you know, four days of just like what the Bills did wrong. And, you know, people fighting with each other about like, no, it's the offensive coordinator's fault. And someone's like, no, it's the head coach's fault. No, it's Josh Allen. It's like, God, everyone's just like yelling at each other. It's just it's crazy. We're going <laughs> you talk about what went wrong. We're going to get into that literally in just a minute here. But yeah, man, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And like I said, it's just a, it's a matter of 
You know that that term, go outside, touch some grass? I kind of feel like that's yeah. been my life this season. It's like, enjoy the ride, enjoy the games. And going into the games, every Sunday, I'd be so, you know, I could probably name you six or seven games where I didn't even enjoy the day, especially if they didn't play at 1 o'clock, which, God, I miss those Sunday 1 o'clock games because I didn't have time to get a whole day full of angst and anxiety. I'd wake up, I'd have breakfast, maybe an hour or so, and then pregame shit comes out, and then, bam, here's the game. But all these goddamn primetime games, oh, I hate it. I hate it. It just gives me too much time to get angst and, and anxiety. But I am going to, seriously, next year, I, I need to focus on, first of all, maybe lower my expectations a little bit and just consider it just fun and enjoy it. It's like, all right, it, it, there's a game today. Let's have some fun. Superstitious as hell, too, by the way. Like, I watched all these games with my wife, my son, and his girlfriend. Like, what a blown opportunity to have friends over and hang out or maybe go out a couple times to other people's houses. Like, my, my wife's family, a big family. They have Bill's parties every Sunday and they take turns who host it at their house. And there's yeah. probably 15, 20 of them. And they go there and then, and then they watch the game. And that's what they do every week. That's their tradition. I wouldn't go because I'm like, oh, I'm superstitious. The Bills are on a roll here. I don't want to yeah. watch the game with anybody else except my, my wife and my son. And uh, which, by the way, in fairness to me, though, I, mean, I love the family, but it's kind of the Bills become background noise. Like they're all talking about life and all this other bullshit when the Bills are playing. I'm like, come on. Be quiet. Turn the TV up. So that's the reason why I stopped going. But seriously, it's like I just didn't allow myself to just enjoy the experience of, of football in a season and being a fan. That's something I need to uh, to work on for sure. Anyway, let's start to get into like some of the things specifically sure. that went wrong. And I, I look, I don't know. Some people, you know, we're not power ranking these. So these aren't necessarily from most important to least here. I got like six of them. And maybe you might have. I'm sure you got insight as well. I, to me personally, I got to start with the defensive tackle play. And I'm talking about Ed Oliver more specifically. The game, watching it in real time and just not seeing his name mentioned at all well, it was bad. And also, I, I, I remember the Cincinnati game last year. It's like for a second straight year, an utter disappearing act for Ed Oliver. Um I looked up some stats from ESPN, Next Generation Stats. Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, zero pressures on 39 combined attempts. Um, Ed Oliver had 10 one-on-one -on -one reps with Joel Thune. Didn't win one of them. Ed Oliver, in the last two years in his two playoff losses, has two assisted tackles. That's it. No pressures, no sacks, no nothing. Now, we're, we talk about A.J. Klein and somebody and Tyler Bass and know some of these other things but ed oliver is a star player he, he should have been a pro bowler he said he should have been a pro bowler considering himself a snub some people said he was even playing at an all pro level and he was during the season i we talked about this a lot a lot i think we called or i know i did i called Ed oliver the most consistently good player on the bills this season and then he gets to the playoffs these elimination games and he disappears so for me when what went wrong it all starts with the defensive line you know the whole line played like shit but more specifically, Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, but especially Ed Oliver, just a disappearing act, dude. Yeah, but I, I will say this, and, and listen, right now we're we're a couple days removed, so I think like any sort of um, angst or anger that I had is kind of like subsided. Sure. And I do remember watching the game, like, man, haven't seen anything from from up the middle. No. The, the one thing this year compared to last year, which is just a little bit different for me, one. He was dominant last week. 
against Pittsburgh. Right. Sure. I mean, that was that was certainly there. And he was dominant during the regular season. Yeah. Like last last year, he he hadn't earned that benefit of the doubt yet, right? Where like this year it's like, yeah, it's a it's a tough game in a bad spot, right? Bad timing, but he was great all season long. So it becomes a little bit harder for me to maybe point a finger at him or have that level of, you know, just kind of like a oh an anger. This guy like he disappeared because he showed up every week. Every week. And when Daquan Jones was out, like he was the one guy that was making plays. Do you need him to step up in this position? Absolutely. Right. Like there's no, there's no doubt with that. But for someone that was that great all season long, I'm not giving him a pass, but it's just like you don't you don't get to this point without Ed Oliver. So That's it was true. a little it was a little bit different than some of his inconsistency that had been there in years in the past. Like this was his best all around season. So I look at some other guys maybe before I look at him. I see on the opposite and everything you said is right. He, he was a big reason why the bills even got to this point, you know, with all the injuries, especially on defense, if Ed Oliver doesn't have the type of year he has bills might not even make the playoffs. And that's not even an exaggeration. That's that that's real talk. That yeah. just makes me more angry that he just and he was great against Pittsburgh. But in these last two elimination games, you know, he had a sack against Miami last year in the wild card round. Didn't play well, but he had a sack on Skylar Thompson. But these last two elimination games, dude, he he's a great player and great players got to step up and he just gave you nothing. You know, you look on the other side and you look at Chris Jones and Chris Jones for a lot of this game was not a factor either. But then you look on. You know, money time, the last the last drive of the game. He hit Josh Allen. He forced a fumble. Thank thank God at the time. Anyway, Spencer Brown was there to fall on and keep that drive going. But you talked about that Khalil Shakir play near the end of the game, which was the right call, by the way. 100% throw the football to him and scored a touchdown. That really annoys me that people are like, oh, there's too much time. You know what? You're up for, and you got to trust that your defense will make a stop. Maybe a pass gets deflected. You don't not take an opportunity to score a touchdown and go up forward under two minutes left. But anyway, my point was going on a different rant here. Chris Jones made that play. He's the reason why Khalil scared to score that touchdown. He barreled into Deion Dawkins. He forced Josh Allen to throw a little bit flat-footed, kind of got in that lane a little bit, and Josh had about maybe 5 to 10% off that throw. That's why it wasn't completed. Chris Jones makes the plays when they matter. Ed Oliver... Two straight years, man, has just been a non-factor. And look, it's the entire defensive line. I mean, Sean McDermott plays eight, nine guys on this line, so it's not only Ed Oliver. But to me, he's the best player. So when you have the best player and he's not doing anything productive in, in a playoff game like this, that's where I got to start with the finger pointing. I have to. Can I go to that Chris Jones play for a second, though? Sure. I you know it's going in a different direction. I Listen, give him credit, right? Like, he's driving Deion Dawkins back. Mm-hmm. But Dawkins stays engaged with him. He doesn't lose him. I don't want to call it like a fluky type of play, right? And it was even like Sunday morning, I watched the Al Pacino speech, like the Game of Inches speech from any given Sunday, right? I always love that speech. And it's just like, uh, you know, it's again, one of those things, oh, I was going to post it. And I was like, ah, that's cheesy. Just watch the video. Enjoy it for yourself. Why do you got to put something on Twitter? And you just look at that and it's like, gosh, you know, if Dawkins just like, pushes him to the left another inch, right? Sure. Like because Dawkins can't see where Josh is, right? If he if he slides him out to the left just a little bit, it's not an issue. If Josh steps up to the right literally an inch, 
It's not an issue. Like it's just this little piece and it's like credit to Chris Jones pushing him back all this and that. But some people are acting like he had a, uh, you know, a strip sack at the two yard line on a goal to go situation <laughs> with five seconds left in the game here. Like Chris Jones made a good play, but this, this was not like a LT in the Super Bowl type of, you know, Bruce Smith. It, it was, it was a nice play, but he pushed the guy back. I mean, you're literally talking about those inches that are around and like, yeah, it was just enough that anyway, I it's a woulda, coulda, shoulda, but like people are like kind of like blowing him up. Like it was this like, stop. Just well, stop. they say football is a game of inches and uh, oh, it totally and is. And it just, but it's like, it's one of those things where you just look at it and it's just, you know, again, credit to Chris Jones. You did a nice thing in driving him back, but like, Let's not like let's not go too far with this one. You know, and also credit to Steve Spagnola too, because I mean this guy's a defensive tackle and in select plays at, at points of the game, especially in the second half, they were putting Chris Jones out at end. He wasn't having success getting through to Josh Allen in the middle. And yeah. when he was, he was getting double teamed a lot. He was getting double teamed a lot, which is why they kind of moved him out to the edge and Josh was taken off just running right, you know, right past him through the pocket. Um, yeah, you I mean, okay, Chris Jones stuff aside. It's just going going to the ten pass rush opportunities one on one where he's Ed Oliver's not double teamed with Joe Thune. Yeah. You gotta you gotta win a couple battles and just Ed didn't and it's not just him. I mean the defensive line too. Greg Rizzo had one nice play. Besides that, not a factor. Ditto for Leonard Floyd. Daquan Jones. I'm not going to give him any shit because he probably is still at less than hundred percent. It's just awesome that he even was able to get back late in the season. Definitely provided a lift, but. Here's the funny thing. Vaughn Miller was their best defensive lineman. He played 15 snaps, and he did. He had a couple nice plays. He snuffed out a screen. He had a pressure. He had two tackles. Vaughn Miller was their best defensive lineman. That's probably not going to go well for you when Vaughn Miller's your best defensive lineman. No. Listen, I'll give Gregory Rousseau maybe a little bit more credit than you did. I thought he was, was active and had an almost sack at the beginning of the game that – Mahomes spun out of he had the one where he forced him to the sideline where you know Mahomes kind of just shot put it with his left hand because he would have uh taken a sack there or ran out of bounds for for a sack so so I I get that part I guess for me it was just like a conglomerate of disappointment from the group as a whole yeah right sure. you, you know and it was um somebody posted it on Twitter they were talking about it on WGR yesterday morning they're like you know in these three playoff games against Mahomes and the Chiefs He's got nine touchdowns, no interceptions, no fumbles, and he has not been sacked in any of those three games. Right. And when you just talk about the defensive line as a whole, that's just not good enough. Right. And this isn't this isn't a quarterback, you know, like, oh, you know, Brady in the late stages of his career or Roethlisberger where he's just going to get the snap and throw it immediately. Right. Within like two seconds because he doesn't want to be hit and everything you know, that's, that's not who Mahomes is. And like, gosh, man, for that to happen in three games and to think of the investment that the team has made on the defensive line, that's a tough pill to swallow. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I am back here with Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblings. We're going over some of the reasons why things just went wrong for the Bills on Sunday. Uh, Sean McDermott, this was another one I had a really big issue with, playing A.J. Klein. Now, look, I, I, I can't hate. It's easy to have hindsight, you know, and be an armchair quarterback the next day. I understand that. And I can understand why you would want to give A.J. Klein the opportunity to start because he's a veteran, and Sean just has a lot of trust in certain players and zero trust in others. But, man, it was painfully obvious. A.J. Klein, especially, God, man, you watched the tape back, which I did. He's just slow, unathletic, and I'm telling you, and I don't blame him because he didn't played. He was not in game shape. He was huffing and puffing and hunched over several times, yet Sean McDermott continued to stick with him until pretty much near the end of the fourth quarter where he finally went to Dorian Williams. And I look back at this game now, and I fought with a lot of people. I don't know if you were on Twitter Monday, but I mean, I fought or Tuesday. I fought with a lot of people because I brought this up with respect to the cover one people. I went at it with all of them. It's like a gang man too, by the way, you go at it with one of them, they're going to, they're going to come for you. And that's what they did. Love those dudes. So, but seriously, that's how it is. Anyway, I just, you got to go to Dorian Williams earlier. I get it. He's a rookie. Um, he, he's not picked up the defense. Well, Sean clearly doesn't have any trust in him. There was the whole green dot issue because you got to be able to call the plays, man, but being decimated a linebacker, A.J. Klein just didn't hate it. He was covering Travis Kelsey. How do you not scheme something better than that? But he also couldn't get to the run fits in time. He just, he was terrible, man. He just, he's he, he's not it. And I think going, not going with Dorian was a huge mistake early on. Maybe he gets you something. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and, and others have said the same, right? For Joe Biscaglia, that was a big piece. Even on, on Joe's podcast before the game, when people were asking him, you know, if Terrell Bernard can't play, who should they start? And, and Joe was like, it's got to be Dorian Williams, right? Yeah. From an athletic standpoint, just what it is. And it's, you know, it's not too surprising, right? You're going to uh, expect Sean McDermott to probably have more trust in a veteran like Klein. Klein had come off and, and had a good game against Pittsburgh, but this is a different opponent, right? In a different scenario. And it's a bit of one of those, 
you know, and the part I struggled with, and I don't, I don't think I struggled with McDermott as much as some people did in, in this game, because I think there were enough things where, you know, I saw a sense of aggression, but it was just like, this was one of those. Uh, and I know like, you know, I always make my basketball analogies. I can't help myself, but like, you know, if you're a team that's playing a two, three zone and it's not working, you got to mix something up. Or if one of your players, if it is just not happening, it's one thing to have faith in uh, Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyde, guys that have been on the field all year for you and through sure. training camp and that have earned that as opposed to a guy that, uh, again, has been back on the roster for like 10 days. And that is nothing against A.J. Klein, right? Here's a guy that is giving everything that he can. You saw him get banged up in this game to try and help this team, put in an awkward situation to just have to cover Travis Kelsey. Like, no one can really tra cover Travis Kelsey, right? Now we're asking you to do this. And it was just that piece when it wasn't working, you could have made that shift a little bit earlier. And even to an extent, Russell Douglas was not himself. And we knew that, like, guys wanting to play. I mean, I'm not saying like, hey, Kyir Elam would have been the answer to to solve your problems, but maybe just to like, let's give this a look for a series because it couldn't have gotten any worse with Dorian Williams or Kyir Elam than it was with the Chiefs marching up and down the field. So I'm I'm with you there. Again, you you get it. There becomes that level of of trust and consistency with it. But I would have liked to see the shift come a bit earlier here because maybe it could have just led to a spark, right? Batting a pass that, you know, comes into your arms on on defense or some sort of a big play that could have shifted things for you. Yeah, look, there's something Sean McDermott did that people were complaining about that I'm not on board with. Like I, the execution sucked, but I had no problem with the fake punt. You know, I like the aggressiveness. They went for it on fourth down on the first series of the game, fourth and one. I liked a lot of what Sean did, but it reverted back to him just having too much trust in certain players and not enough in others. Young players who you invested premium draft picks in. Going back to Dorian Williams. So the, again, the thing that I kept fighting with people on social media on Tuesday is they're saying, well, you know, he's got to call the plays, the green dot thing, this and that. Couldn't your man, our boy, Bruce Nolan over there at Rumley. He's going at with him a little bit. And I'm like, listen, if Terrell Bernard got hurt during the game, AJ Klein, you trust, I completely get that. But you knew all week long, this guy was probably not playing. He had a full week of practice. Dorian Williams is a day two pick, a third rounder, and this is his 19th NFL game. You're telling me that you can't trust this guy to be able to call out the defense? You're drafting him as a linebacker. What are you drafting him for in day two? You know, athletically, he's got all these skills, but you can't trust him mentally whatsoever over a banged up, slow as shit, A.J. Klein. I think that costs him a lot. And you mentioned Rasul Douglas. I love Rasul. Dude was hurt. He couldn't run. You watch that tape. He just, he couldn't run. He was hobbled. You got Kyrie Elam going into the end of the year, a, a first round pick, a guy who had a 21 day practice window that you, you open and then you put him on the roster. Like you shouldn't have even, you should have just put him on IR for the season like you did with Justin Shorter. If you're going to let a hobbled, can barely run at all, Rasul Douglas remain out there over Kyrie Elam. Now that didn't hurt them quite as much, but the A.J. Klein and not going to Dorian Williams, which by the way, the one stop the Bills had the whole game, the one part they forced the whole game, Dorian Williams made the play uh, and, and, and tackle Mahomes short of the first down. To me, that was just egregious, uh, too much trust 
in, in McDermott with certain players. And, and that really bothers me. That doesn't sit well with me. Even today, it still doesn't. Here, here's my thing, though, I'll say. And I'm not, I'm definitely not disagreeing with you because sometimes it's like even for mm-hmm. a series, you got to mix things up. But, man, we're, we're sitting here a couple days after a loss, right, and, and talking about they should have played Dorian Williams and Kyrie Elam. That, that just shows the state of where the Bills' defense was sure. at this point of the year. And it's like, you know, it's almost like, yeah, it's a, you're, let's say you're hoping for a miracle, but you kind of, you kind of are with, with that. So, you know, I, I get it. You're like, you're going at back and forth with people and, and understandable, like emotions were running high, but uh, I get it. I get what McDermott did. I get how you're feeling like the, the bills lost. So of, of course, like, it's just like, God, I wish he just would have tried something because maybe it would have worked. And it just, Elam's a stretch. Elam's a stretch. I don't think Dorian Williams should have been a stretch. I, I, I just, I truly don't. Let me give you a take. We'll never know if it's going to be right. I, I, but this is not me being a homer. I truly believe this in my heart. I think if Terrell Bernard's healthy and doesn't get hurt, I think the Bills beat the Chiefs. I think Terrell Bernard, if he plays that game, he's the middle linebacker. I think the Bills beat the Chiefs. I truly do. I honestly feel that. Well, all these injuries, I think Terrell Bernard was the nail. I, I really do. Yeah, and it was, I, I will say this, it was kind of heartbreaking. Um was in the car yesterday during Brandon Bean's press conference. And yeah. he talked about Bernard just so desperately wanting to play and how the team really had to hold him out to kind of protect him from himself and just how emotional that was for Terrell Bernard, how emotional it was for even Brandon Bean saying like, you know, everyone kind of had tears in their eyes of just like, it was heartbreaking for yeah. him to not be able to, to help his team. And again, you talk about like, just this whole season. And I know it's hard right now to think of positives. You talk about the angst, the anxiety, all of these pieces, but it's like, you still got Terrell Bernard on this team. Look at what Spencer Brown became. Look at what James Cook is doing. And look at who Khalil Shakir is. Like, that's why I think, you know, again, talking about a loss like this, I can look at things. Heck, Christian Benford wasn't able to play in the game, right? How how well he's playing as a young player. It's just like, man, the Bills have hit on some of these draft picks. Sure. And it is just like, yeah, I can feel okay about where things are. Not this doom and gloom and, you know, my texts will blow up and people want to take shots at the Bills, whatever. Like, I will still take being a Buffalo Bills franchise over any other fan base team that is out there. Like, I'm good, man. Like, this team is going to be good. It is still has a load of young talent that you can look at all those names I just rambled off. Like, so, so I'm, I'm okay. Right. And and I, I went with this because you talk about Terrell Bernard and again, like who the hell is going to play this linebacker spot at the middle of the year. Now, all of a sudden, 17 games later, we're like, this guy should have been named to the pro bowl. He's irreplaceable. You know what I mean? Did he get like, they they beat the chiefs if, if you, if you have him. So it's just like, there's a lot of reasons to feel good about where things are. It's easy for us to to not look at those. Heck, I even feel good about Dorian Williams, which is the limited stuff that we saw, right? Because you look at what happened with Terrell Bernard and how bad he was as a rookie and how a year later what he could come about and say, yeah, I could see that same type of trajectory here too. So I don't know. I got off on a tangent there. I didn't you know, mean to try and like turn it all to a positive, but it's just like, you know. Well, That's- you're not wrong. You're not wrong. 
And, That's uh, why you have me on the show, right? To I, sort exactly, of- <laughs> exactly, exactly, man. But you know, that kind of just pisses me off, though, to be honest with you, even more that Dorian Williams just wasn't afforded the opportunity when the alternative was A.J. Klein. And yes, with Terrell Bernard, look, he went from being a guy I thought it was comical that he was named the starter in week one after doing nothing in camp, nothing his rookie year, nothing really in camp, didn't even play in the preseason, and he's the starter. I'm like, what the hell? What, what are we doing here? And now, at the end of the year, he's maybe one of the top three to four most irreplaceable players on this football team. He was irreplaceable on Sunday. And I'm telling you, I feel confident that had he played, there were a couple run plays that you could see on tape where Klein just didn't get there because he's not fast enough. Bernard explodes. He fills that hole. Um, I know Clyde uh, Edwards-Hilaire had a 28-yard run. That ain't happening with Bernard on the field. I'm telling you, I watched the play, and there were a couple pass plays where he would have been in coverage, where A.J. Klein was like a, literally three, four yards away from where he needed to be. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, quickly here, we, we, Tyler Bass goes without saying, man. You, you, look, I, I like the kid. I feel terrible for him on a personal level. You, you talked about you know how your wife feels bad for him. I feel bad for him, too. You got to make the kick, though. Three missed field goals in the playoffs. That can't happen. I know a lot of people are calling for his head. And by that, I mean from a football release standpoint, not a couple of these scumbags out there who are actually literally threatening the guy. That's just disgusting. And you're a low life if you're one of those people who did that. But from a football standpoint, he ain't going nowhere. I looked at the contract. They would actually lose cap money and eat dead cap money to cut them. So get it right. Um, and then Stefan Diggs, man. I mean, uh, he's just, listen, he, he was not a big time wide receiver the back half of the season. And I think numbers could could tell a false story sometimes, Anthony. I, I, I truly do. But 10 games, zero of them over 87 yards. I'm looking at these stats up. Week 10 through the end of the season, 47 catches, 422 yards, and one touchdown. Weeks one through nine, 70 catches, 834 yards, seven touchdowns. First nine weeks of the season, he looked like he was ready to smash his own records uh, with this team. Just one touchdown in his last 10 games. Issues with drops. We saw what happened in the fourth quarter. That's on him. You got to bring that in. He also caught the first pass of the game. He caught the ball. He got hit. He fumbled. Um, 63 yards combined. The last three Bills elimination losses, Stephon Diggs has 63 yards combined. Last year was a bunch of smoke, and I never in a million years thought they might do something with him. I don't know how I feel about him going into this offseason. I don't know how much is it his scheme, what it is, but Stefan Diggs was not the player the Bills needed him to be. How much of that is Stefan's fault? That's something to be debated probably for quite a while to come. But one thing's obvious, dude, they needed more from him and they did not get it. Yeah, and I feel like this entire season from the offseason piece, right, like I'm I'm a fan of Stefan Diggs, right? I gave him the benefit of the doubt of everything through – the summer, even last year, like, you know, after the the Bengals game, whatever, you can write that stuff off. Um, it's not working the way that you need it to. And that part right. is, is, is disappointing. And it just feels like there's been too many weeks where we've come and say, well, if they just connected on this deep shot. And some of those, you know, were not his fault, right? Like maybe it was underthrown by, by Josh Allen or like, hey, the defense made enough of a play. That's all right. But the play that was there, the 65-yard bomb, 
that is one that you have to make that catch. There is no, there is no part of that catch of like, Oh, the guy was tugging at his arm or, you know, someone was in his face. Like it was there. Like, was it a tad underthrown? Yes. It was a tad underthrown. Did it hit both of your hands? Yes. It hit both of your hands. Like there was no defender in place that was keeping him from catching that ball. And that's the piece where it just, you know, again, you talk about football being a game of inches. It's just like, how does he not make that catch? Yeah. I and mean, we've seen him make catches in traffic and bullets and all of these pieces. And it's just one of those that here we are again saying, well, if he makes that catch, it's a it's a great stat line type of type of thing. And no one's talking about it. But that has been the story too often down the stretch here. And this is a game that, uh, unfortunately, it bit you, right? Because the Chiefs were that good. It can yeah. happen in some of these other matchups, and it's it's okay. And I'll say this too: what was it, the Steelers game, or was it the Dolphins game? I mean, he did have that one catch, the left sideline, like a thirty-five yard um, kind yeah, of it was over the Steelers the, over the shoulder, right? So, like, I, I shouldn't be like it. It never it never happens. But that's one that like big players make big plays and big yeah. games. And Josh Allen made a throw there that is just like, I don't think there's anyone else that can make. No. That, uh, no. Biased, yeah, maybe Mahomes, maybe, maybe, maybe Mahomes. And that would be the end of the list. He had some other drops too, not just this game. He's had some drops that he usually, he doesn't make. And it wasn't just him on Sunday. Trent Shurfield dropped. Not one, but two passes, which, by the way, you know, people who thought Gabe Davis, you know, I heard the offense might be better without Gabe Davis. It might be better because of Trent Shurfield. They won't try to force him the ball. Bullshit. Bullshit. Not having Gabe Davis hurt them for a lot of reasons. Maybe not statistically, but Gabe could get down the field. Gabe takes attention away from Stefan and some of the other players as well, too. So I don't want to hear that shit. I, I thought that was crazy talk. And, um... I think Gabe Davis is going to be gone, by the way. He's, he's a free agent. He's going to go get some money somewhere. Let me go back to Steph, though, too. I, I feel like, based on the contract, Stefan Diggs needs to be back in Buffalo next year. Again, I don't, I, I, don't look, I, don't, I don't look at any of this and just like, okay, maybe if he's lost a step, you know, the guy's over 30 years old. Like That, that was going to happen at, at some point. Even last week's game against the Steelers, what was he like? six for 72 i'm going off the top of my head like maybe that's just the player that he is like more of kind of like what keenan allen has become with the chargers and yeah maybe steph is like yeah he's 90 it happened overnight though it happened 90, overnight. Yeah, and and maybe it is or maybe you know maybe there's something else i don't know this is the time of year where all of a sudden you know you'll see some random tweet from Adam Schefter telling you that, uh, surgery. you know, Stefan Diggs went, underwent surgery on his foot and everyone says, Oh, well, that was, you know, sure. why, why it happened or, or anything. But, you know, maybe he becomes that player that's like 90 catches for a thousand yards and still an integral part of the offense. But Khalil Shakir steps up and Dalton Kincaid becomes more of a primary target and they draft a early wide receiver. And, you know, I don't think it's done yet. But man, it, it 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 needs to be it needs to be better. It does. It certainly does. I'll tell you what, too. We're gonna put on ice, we'll save it for next week, our, our finish the sentence uh segment. And I and I think of this team right now as, as we wrap up, and I'm like, the season with content never ends because there's so many topics to get into. 
The Bills' offensive philosophy is something that we'll be talking about for weeks to come. Running the football versus maybe running it too much to the point that you're taking away from uh, the passing game. You know, I thought the Bills, I liked the game plan. I thought they kept Mahomes off the field effectively. They were scoring on their drives. They were sustaining drives. But there got to be a point in the fourth quarter where the Chiefs were selling out against the run. They were putting nine people in the box. And every yeah. first down, the Bills were still smashing the ball directly in the middle of the line. James Cook had minus four or five yards on his last four carries of the game, all on first downs too, because they were yeah. just not going to let the Bills run the football anymore. So we'll kind of talk about that in the weeks to come uh, with Joe Brady. There's so much uncertainty with this football team right now. You mentioned a lot of good young players. That's something I think fans sleep on too, or people around the league sleep on. Bills got a nice young core now. They really do. But there's a lot of free agents, a lot of veteran free agents, and we can kind of dive in on those, some potential veteran cuts because the Bills are going to have to do a little bit of salary cap gymnastics over the next handful of weeks or so. So anyway, that'll, uh, that will do it for today. This was, um, you know, usually after a loss, I always get you on and I say, you know what? You make me feel a little better. This is therapeutic. I don't feel any better, dude. I'm like ready for you to just be like, you know what, Ant? I'm sick of your shit, man. Your positivity. <laughs> get the hell out of here. And like, you know what? Just let me, let me, let me be on my my way. So I uh sorry I couldn't make you feel any better, man. <laughs> <laughs> you always make me feel better, buddy. All right. Thanks, Anthony Marino. Thank you all for listening and watching. I'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow. Talk to you then. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.